The grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. This is the day the Lord has made, and we are rejoicing and glad in it. Even though a good portion of our congregation is away this morning, we are going to uh, sing to the glory of God here and greet one another. So turn and shake hands with your neighbor. Say good morning, if you would. Uh, share your names with us and one another on the friendship pad as it passes your way. Good to know the names of those who worship with us on Sunday mornings. I want to call your attention to the announcements and the insert in the bulletin. As I said earlier, a good portion of our women are away today at Fallbrook on a special retreat. They're having a wonderful time, the reports say. This morning following uh, this hour, our Molokai uh, trip uh, a group that will be going on a mission trip as they do each springtime will be meeting down in the youth center. And if you move uh, through onto the inside of the connections, you can see that there's um, a little uh, brochure. It's called Prayer on the outside. And uh, our worship committee has put this together for this time of transition for, for the Tankersleys as well as for the congregation so I uh, would encourage you to take this and on the scriptures that are listed for each week to be praying around the themes that are suggested to you in this brochure. Also, uh, we're planning a series of deacon gatherings according to the various parishes in uh, um, different locations around our parish. And uh, the purpose of that is to give me an opportunity to have an evening with smaller groups just to talk to you about uh, what's going on in our life, my life, church's life, and to just dialogue and fellowship together. And it's one of our ways of um, saying goodbye. Because uh, as you heard, I'm going to retire at the end of June. And um, that still I cannot believe, but it is happening. And um, you heard more about that last week. There will be a celebration dinner on the evening of June the 4th. So whole that evening in your, in your calendar. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. We are moving toward Easter, and there will be a one great hour of sharing offering that goes for disaster relief through our Presbyterian Disaster uh, Assistance Program that is always present in hurricanes and tornadoes and uh, earthquakes and all of those things that happen around our country from time to time. So uh, you might want to remember that in your springtime giving. So let's center ourselves now in the worship of the Lord. I would remind you, two weeks today, Easter services at uh, 8, 9.30, and 11. And uh, this morning you can sign up for one of the Easter lilies to provide that for the services on that day. Let us pray together. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we trust our hearts into your care. You are sovereign Lord. You are king of the universe. And you've come to seek and to save us, to rescue us from the darkness and to deliver us into the kingdom of your light and love. As we worship this morning, as we listen to your word, as we fellowship together and sing your praise, may you be glorified. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We are called to worship this morning with the following words. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have, you have commanded, commanded your, your precepts, precepts to be, to be kept, kept diligently. Oh, that our ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. How can young people keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. 
I treasure your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord.
Our call to confession is based on Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my My soul soul waits, and and in in his his word I put put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O God, you call us to wait on you, to be still, and to know that you are God. And so we sing that refrain, be still and know that I am God. Please join me in our prayer of confession. Almighty God, you despise nothing you have made, and you forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create in us new and contrite hearts, hearts, that that truly truly repenting repenting of our sins and and acknowledging our our brokenness, we may may obtain obtain from you the God of all mercy, mercy full pardon and and forgiveness forgiveness through your Son, Son, Jesus Christ, Christ, our Redeemer. Let's take a minute for our personal and silent confession. Amen. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant 
with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Thanks be to God. Amen. gospel story that Luke chapter 9 says that Jesus set his face to go up to Jerusalem. The holy city represented his destiny and he knew exactly what he was moving toward. This was the Passover celebration. He was in and out of Jerusalem a number of times, but on this occasion he had led his disciples from Galilee up to the holy city and along the way had taught them many parables and discipleship teachings of what it meant to follow him. Expectation was growing. The crowds had heard Jesus proclaim good news to the poor. They had seen him in the power of a loving God reach out and restore a man's sight. It's seen him heal the lame and forgive sins, restore hope, and give new beginnings in people's lives. They had seen him raise the dead. He arrived 
in Jerusalem in John chapter 11, went to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, where he knew already his good friend Lazarus, their brother, had died several days before and had been buried. And there he stood outside of the tomb and told them to open up, to roll the stone away from the tomb. And there his soul was deeply troubled about the human condition and the powers of sin and death. But it was there in the face of all of that that he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus did come forth, wrapped in his burial clothes. And Jesus said to him, to the people there, unwrap him and set him free. The people who saw this were so caught up in excitement and expectation of the power of God and the glory of God breaking into human life that they were ready to proclaim him king. In fact, in chapter 11, it says the high priest reported, see, we can do nothing. The whole world has gone after him. And then the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The text that we read this morning is from chapter 12, beginning at verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. But now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The crowds answered him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you are going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Shine the light of your truth, justice, and love into our hearts this morning. As we listen and learn what it means to follow you up to the holy city, 
and into the fullness of life. We pray in your name. Amen. And so the Jewish people were coming from everywhere up to Jerusalem to worship during the Passover festival. This was the festival in which Israel gathered once a year to remember the mighty acts of God of deliverance from Egyptian slavery and the establishing of the covenant and their identity as the people of God. This was one of the high holy days and people went up from everywhere to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, to eat the meal that told the story of the deliverance from slavery. But coming along with the Jewish people, John tells us, was a group of, of Greeks, of, of Gentiles, a most unlikely crowd who some have said were like tourists, and yet Jesus saw in some way that their coming up represented the world, the Gentile world that was already beginning to come to him. Soon the mission of God would reach out to the ends of the earth through the apostles. This was the beginning of a major change and turn of people coming to God and the reign and rule of God. And so they were coming, and they found Philip from Bethesda, Bethesda in the Galilee, a Gentile territory. And they said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. My college, there's a, a chapel. And once I preached in that chapel, I saw that there was a bronze plaque at the front of the pulpit that said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And that is a reminder of our calling to be proclaimers of the Word of God. Because we as Jews and Gentiles have come to Jesus. We want to see Jesus. For He has been lifted up. And we begin to learn this, that He was lifted up on the cross with the promise that if he be lifted up, he would draw all people to himself from every race, from every nation. Speaking every language, they would come to worship the Messiah, the King of Israel. And so people were coming, and the answer that Jesus gave when Peter and Andrew told him that they wanted to see him was not exactly what you would expect from Jesus. Didn't reflect exactly the hospitality that you might expect. I would have thought that Jesus would have said, well, bring them on in, or let's set a time and place. Everybody's welcome. But his response to this was this. My hour has come. My time has arrived. And he went on to say, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. If you're going to live, you must be prepared to die and to come alive to the presence and the power of the rule and the reign of God. For when God comes to us, He comes in surprising ways. He does not come as the triumphant Messiah, King. Rather, He comes as the humble, suffering servant of the Lord to lay down His life, to make atonement for the sins of humanity, to reconcile us to one another and to the Father, he comes to turn to completely reverse the expectations of all that we seek in terms of human glory. Eugene Peterson was the translator of the Bible called The Message. And 
on the 50th anniversary of the church that he established just outside of Baltimore in the early 1960s, uh, he, was, he was invited back on the 50th anniversary of that church. He had been gone for nearly 20 years as the pastor, but they invited him back to preach. And this was the text that he chose to preach from, from John 12. That church he and the people had named Christ our King Presbyterian Church. And it was as if he, the former pastor, was asking the question, what does it mean for us to be people of the King who live under the sovereign reign and rule of God? And Peterson said the key verse and prayer in this text is, Father, glorify your name. And the Father responded, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Peterson confessed to his former congregation throughout the years of my life, most of those years, I was not really interested in the word glory. What I was really seeking in my life was roots. He said the same sort of thing that all of us are interested in. Uh, we're, we're searching for roots when we get an education. We're searching for roots when we get a job. We're searching for roots when we marry we search for roots in all kinds of ways in seeking to establish our lives and the well-being of our lives and the more power that we can accumulate. Financial power, human honor, glory in the way that the world understands it. That's what we are searching for. That is life in the darkness. I think back over my life, when I think of the word glory, an image comes to my mind of a guy dancing in the end zone after having caught the pass that won the game. That's glory with the crowd shouting. It's glory when the guy hits the home run out of the stadium and wins the World Series. It's glory when we make the deal that will substantiate our life and the work of many years. The word glory speaks so much of our success and of our upward mobility and climbing the ladder to be recognized, whether it be financially or to be honored by those because of the contributions that we have made in life. We want to live with glory. That's a theme that's played in my life over and over without my really being fully aware of it. When I was a young associate pastor at the former church that I served, there was a wedding in our church one summer afternoon. It was the daughter of Bob Finch, um, who was in the cabinet of President Richard Nixon. And President Nixon and the whole cabinet were there. Martha Mitchell even. And she was a fascinating woman. I was the associate pastor. I was not doing the wedding, but I was outside. And it was a fascinating experience to see the Secret Service and the FBI. They went through every book in my office and searched under every pew in the church. And they, they had rifled gunmen on the buildings of everybody, of every building in town circling the church. It was a time of great concern for the security of the president. And I was outside, standing outside the church. As it turned out, they didn't let anybody out of the church until the president and his cabinet had departed. Except he came out early with his family and he walked right over to me like he knew me and shook my hand and asked me where I went to school and we had a wonderful conversation, and he made me feel really important. Felt like I was almost at the center of power. When I came to Laguna Beach, the Western White House was just down the road. The press corps, the national press was right down in one of our restaurants here on PCH. I used to run on the track at the high school. Dan Rather would be running one direction. I'd be running the other. I could never get Dan to stop and talk to me. 
It would have made me feel so much better if he'd have stopped and talked. Did a wedding here in our sanctuary. The reception was at the Western White House. Got a tour of the Western White House and saw the room where the Russians negotiated with the president and walked through the gardens and a famous photographer took our picture and I have it hanging on our wall and somehow I felt I was the at the center of power and glory that was going on in our world. And I can remember some of my friends who were invited to the East Room of the White House to preach before the gathered crowd and how that made them feel and how many of them hid their pictures, their autographed pictures after the Watergate scandal. It was an interesting time. So we find ourselves caught up in un being unaware of it. Nothing more that we want than to be number one, to be on the winning team. When I was a kid playing Sandlot football, I always wanted to be choosing my team, and I always had pity for the guy that was chosen last. And so these are themes in our lives, and the Greeks were coming, and they'd heard that Jesus might be the new king of Israel, and they wanted to see him. And rather than responding to that request, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you must be prepared to die, to lose your life, to find your life. And the great truth of the Gospels that we discover is that when God comes into our world, when he sends his Messiah to rescue humanity, he comes to people and to places that we would least likely expect, to the poor, the broken, the sinners, the outcasts. He fellowshiped with rich and poor, He comes in humility. He comes as one who is emptied of himself of the prerogatives of deity, takes upon himself the form of a servant and becomes obedient to God, even to death upon the cross. And therefore, God has lifted him up and given him a name that is above every name so that every knee may bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How that breaks the paradigms of success for the way the world understands glory. There are a lot of parables in life about our vulnerabilities. Last week, Grant Wacker, who is Professor Emeritus at Duke Divinity School, wrote an article in the Christian Century magazine about Billy Graham. Grant has written the authoritative biography of Billy Graham called America's Pastor, and it is a powerful book. And he wrote in this little article in Christian Century that in American religious history that there will be three names that will be remembered. Jonathan Edwards, great Puritan reform preacher, Martin Luther King Jr., and Billy Graham. Billy was remarkable in that he had preached to millions of people around the world, to kings and queens and potentates, rich and poor, black and white, communist and non-communist, believing and unbelieving, he preached to them all, and I love those early pictures of Billy Graham. Tall, big frock of blonde hair, blue eyes, evidence that he'd spent a lot of time in, in front of a sun lamp. Always had the most perfect tan you can imagine. 
charismatic, powerful in his speech. You heard his voice, you know you'd heard Billy Graham, Southern Baptist preacher. All of those things. Over the years, Billy grew older. And what happened to him, if we live long enough, is probably going to happen to all of us. He lived to age 99, almost 100. He went blind. He couldn't hear. He had Parkinson's disease. He had dementia. He had prostate cancer. And he kind of shriveled up. And we, the nation, sang his praises as we should. But Billy said, if you hear that I've died, don't believe it. I've gone to be with God in the fullness of life. But his life was a parable of what happens to us all. He's entered into glory. And he lifted up the cross of Jesus Christ around the world. A message of good news. My friend John Huffman and I, we've been in a covenant group, a pastor's covenant group for over 40 years, meeting monthly. And we've we talk from time to time about the substance of our conversations and what they were like in the earlier years about our ambitions, about what was driving us, how our churches were doing, what's going on in the world and the church and all of that. And we, we traveled together. We did a lot of itching and scratching and laughing and weeping together. We've buried two of our covenant brothers we were remembering the other night in our conversation all the tennis games and the golf games and the competition between us and how important it was for us to win. And I finally defeated one of my friends in tennis and I've lorded it over him since. John says to me over the phone, he says, Jerry, those days are gone forever. With our arthritic knees, we wobble along. And he said, I want to share with you what happened to me this last week. And I asked him if I could share it this morning, and that's why I tell you the story. He was up at that Toshiba Classic Golf Tournament up at Newport Beach Country Club. It was near the end, and he was walking down the cartway that the golf carts would travel on. He's walking by himself. The first thing he realized was that he had been run over by a golf cart. And it threw him into the air. And he came down in the front seat with John Daly, the pro golfer, <laughs> in Daly's lap. And he said Daly looked at him. He had been drinking in his game, I think. He looked at him with terror in his eyes and must have asked himself, my God, what have I done? John pulled himself up. He wasn't hurt badly. He walked away and daily drove away and never said a word. And I said to John, John, I do not want to hear someday that you died on the golf course run over by a golf cart. <laughs> And we laughed. I tell you, we laughed. It was funny, but it was sad at the same time. But it was a reminder that those of us, you know, especially John, who's prayed, played the great golf courses in the world, there comes a time when our vulnerabilities become known and things may happen to us that the world may not think of as glory, but simply humorous events in our lives. But whatever it is, Jesus wanted his disciples to know 
that his hour had come. And he was a king, but a very different kind of king than anyone expected. He was Israel's Messiah. And he brought salvation into the world. But that means of salvation required him to become identified with the brokenness, the weakness, the losses of the human race. And John tells us that Jesus' soul was deeply troubled as he was facing what he knew was before him as the crowds claimed him as their king. A week later, he would be crucified, dead, and buried for the salvation of the world. He says, if you're going to follow me, you got to be prepared to die to sin and death with the hope of eternal life. He says, that's glory. That's the glory of God. Not the triumphal march that the world expects with demonstrations of power, but the humble act of a servant of God to rescue a sin-sick humanity. May God bless us as we become children of light and walk out of the darkness into the fullness of his life. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, you give us many parables in our life, many reminders of our weakness, of the thorns in the flesh that we have, of the broken relationships of our lives, of guilt and shame that we carry with us. And as we remember, we can thank you that you were the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that you brought eternal life for all who believe and trust in you. So that whatever happens, in life or in death, we belong to you. Comfort us, strengthen us, prepare us for eternal glory with you. In the fullness of heaven, we ask in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand with me as we affirm our faith. The words of the Heidelberg Catechism in our Book of Confessions, very personal affirmation of hope, we read responsively. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil, that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
we sing the doxology. God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we continue our journey through the season of Lent, may your spirit continue to prepare us for that which is yet to come. Remind us that we must first face the upheaval and the pain and the darkness of betrayal and suffering and death before experiencing the joy and the glory of resurrection. We come to you this morning in prayer, and we give thanks for the opportunity to draw even closer to you and to your Son through the grace of the Holy Spirit. We remember this morning the gifts of faith, family, and friends, for country, and for church. We pray for those who are away on retreat this weekend, that they may be experiencing the joy of companionship and peace and prayer together. We pray for our nation and for guidance and strength during troubled times and discord. We pray for Pastor Jerry and Kay and their family, that they may experience health and well-being and peace in these days of approaching retirement. Thank you for their service and to all they have encountered, and for their contributions to the spiritual growth of thousands who have called this congregation and this community their home. What a joy it has been and is and will be to be a part of the body of Christ in Laguna Beach, California. Be with those who suffer this day those who have known loss through recent tragedies and illnesses, and grant to each of them and to all of us a measure of your grace, your mercy, and your peace for the living of our lives, for the joy of serving you, and for the joy of generous and sacrificial giving of life and treasure. We kneel before you and offer you our praise. Hear us now, O Lord, and give us your peace and courage as we pray together the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught all of his disciples to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing hymn is Take My Life.
life and in death we belong to God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. May the peace of Christ rest upon us as we seek to be his children of light in a world that still struggles with the darkness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.